Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Sam Shaheen, a senior editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Ever since Jonathan handed over the Gear 30 keys to me, I've been chomping at the bit to do a mini-series about textile fibers. That's not a sexy topic, but the reason why materials are so interesting is that it's how you get the properties of a garment. Things like why does one jacket feel softer than another? What makes a certain fabric more durable or less durable? Why does one fabric wick moisture better than another? All these properties come down to textile fibers. And whether it works or not, and the way that it works can determine a lot of how good your day is. In this mini-series, we're going to focus on four different fibers, synthetic, cotton, hemp, and wool. And to get things started, we're talking with Sarah Ellis, who's a global product specialist at Gore, the makers of Gore-Tex, about synthetic fibers. Sarah and I discuss nylon, we discuss polyester, we discuss this fascinating new fabric that Gore has developed with Under Armour, and things that are on the horizon with waterproof breathables. So today, I'm sitting here with... Sarah Ellis, um, who's a product specialist at Gore. How are you doing today, Sarah? Hi, I'm good, Sam. Thank you. To start off, can you give us a little bit of your background and um, what your current role is at Gore? Sure. I am a product specialist at Gore. My background is engineer by educational training. And I joined Gore right after university. I went to Lehigh University and Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, which is a pretty well-known uh, school for its engineering programs. And Gore um, found me through some career headhunting, and I have been there for 12 years in various roles and commitments. And as mentioned, right now I'm in a product specialist role within our fabrics division focused on consumer apparel. For our listeners and and for you as well, Sarah, I kind of want to briefly explain the idea behind this series because we all have these closets full of garments and clothing and all sorts of things that are made of all these various textile fibers. But I think in general, people know very little about it. I mean, even I know very little about these fibers and I do this sort of thing for a living. Gore works a lot with synthetic fibers, so I was really excited to be able to have you you on the podcast to talk about synthetic fibers a little bit. So I guess to start off, there are tons of different varieties of synthetic fibers. A lot of them are, you know, trademark, trade named, whatever, you know, your Kevlars and your Dacrons and things like that. But in general, there are there are a few like core types of synthetic fibers. Can you talk a little bit about um, those those major types of fibers and kind of the pluses and minuses of using each one? Sure. Yeah. As you highlighted, I also have a closet full of different touch and feel uh, materials. And I think as consumers and people doing various activities, we all um, have preferences on, you know, when we're exercising versus going to work uh, versus hanging out with friends, whether you're indoor or outdoor, um, you kind of have different preferences. So what the world of fibers and textiles has done for gosh hundreds of years um, is, is basically figured out how to either blend materials together, um, how to knit or weave materials um, to provide different levels of um, 
performance benefits essentially at the end of the day. And also there's cost things involved um, within the manufacturing um, supply chain uh, to be able to, you know, make it from start to finish and give different properties, whether it's dyeing and finishing or, or colors. So with respect to synthetic, um, I would focus on probably two. And it's interesting to think about synthetics because they're essentially plastic. Uh, so you have polyester, which is commonly uh, referred to as that. Um, so you have a polyester fiber, which is um, PET, and that is a plastic. So it's interesting to think about how a plastic can be manipulated and um, then ending up into your favorite uh, running shirt, for example. Um, you also have nylon, which also, again, is a plastic and provides different benefits uh, than polyester, but performs pretty similar. So with both of those fibers, you can, you can either construct them or extrude them um, to be a continuous filament, which is Easy, more easily blended with other fibers um, or a staple form where you're essentially chopping it into small millimeter size length and um, able to, to blend it in a different way and you get a different um, hand and feel. Um, so benefits of polyester um, are a lot around moisture management, um, wicking. Uh, there's benefits to it with respect to quick drying um, so you'll notice a lot of these like trademark uh, polyester technologies that um, either big athletic brands or even within the fashion industry, um, they're they're basically saying you know it's great with sweat management helps helps you dry fast dry faster. Uh, the challenges with polyester is they tend to um, hold on to odors so. Um, they're oleophobic in nature, so they're hydro, sorry, oleophilic in nature. They're hydrophobic, which is what is helpful for that quick drying benefit. Um, but oleophilic means they will hold on to oils and essentially your sweat is an oil. So you may find that over time your synthetic um, materials, whether it's polyester or nylon, um, will tend to hold on to your lovely odors after exercising <laughs> uh, better, or sorry, worse than wool cotton. So I'll then transition to your natural fibers of wool and cotton. And those we know are great with respect to softness. Um, a lot of that has to do with the form of the fiber in itself. They're in the staple form, um, which tend to have a better um, hand feel softness to, to consumers. So the ideal world would be, how do you get those moisture management filament type properties into a cotton wool like feel? So you'll notice um, many companies now are starting to figure out how to blend the two together. So if you take a couple of your shirts or multiple shirts, pants, shorts in your closet, look at the um, tag, if you still have the tag on it, and um, notice that, you know, maybe you have a tri-blend where it's 30% um, poly, 30% wool, and 5% spandex or things like that. So um, just really creative in terms of how uh, companies have 
and, and supply chains have evolved to be able to create um, these various benefits that consumers um, can appreciate uh, depending on what activity they're doing. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things for me about synthetics is that unlike the natural fibers, obviously, we create them. So you mentioned that these poly and nylon fibers can be extruded. Is is that the primary way that we see these fibers being made? Or are there other I know for instance that um some of the some of the laminates that are on the market from other companies are, you know, electrospun, for example, polyurethane electrospun, things like that. Is is extrusion the primary way that we that we get these synthetic fibers? To my knowledge, extrusion is a common cost-effective way. So I don't know if it's majority. I can't say that with confidence, but I think it's a um, common and pretty well-known process to do so. But you're right. There's other, when you talk about membrane manipulation, um, which Gore is very um, strong at with, with respect to um, polytetrafluoroethylene, um, there's different ways to do uh, membrane manipulation than there is fiber. Um, so yeah, there's various various ways to get after it. One thing that you also talked about was staple fibers versus continuous filaments. Um, can you go into a little bit more details about why you would want to have one or the other and the benefits of having a fiber in in that in that layup? Yes, I can. I will admit I'm no expert here. We we rely a lot on our supply chains to, to help with dictating um, what what type of fiber, whether it's continuous or staple, um, as well as the end use. But I would say for filaments, think of things like um, durability is typically stronger, so it's better with pick resistance and abrasion resistance. Um, than a staple fiber because, as I mentioned, the staple fiber are in these this chop form, which then gets blend into a and to make a a continuous yarn. So you essentially have kind of two steps before creating a continuous um, yarn. And having said that, there's um, some durability challenges uh, depending on the again depending on the end use. You may not want to have um, you may not need the durability or abrasion resistance and thus staple fiber is excellent for that. But in something like an outerwear jacket, let's say a, a, a waterproof jacket um, where you're mountaineering, you would, you would definitely want to pay attention to uh, the type of, of um, filament used and making sure uh, abrasion is, is thought of. And that's where you'll see continuous filaments. You'll also see continuous filament used when um, pairing with spandex or yarns like that because they, um, um, lycra and spandex is can only come in that form. So it's pretty challenging to blend a staple with a spandex. I'm sure it can be done, but it's, it's not common, um, commonplace. So think of like running tights or yoga pants, things like that. Those would be where you'd want to be using a continuous filament as well. So you had mentioned that when we were talking staple fibers, we're on like millimeter length scale. For these continuous filaments, how long do they get? Do you know? Oh, they can. I mean, they can be like yards long. That's typically, you're like sending it on a roll to then go to a knitter or um, weaver to construct the actual textile. 
And then and the staple will eventually get to a yard's length. It just takes a few process steps prior to. Sure. So it's it, it's a yards long yarn that is made up of these, you know, millimeter chopped scaled mm-hmm. pieces that can that may or may not be a blend of different types of fibers. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned polyester and nylon being sort of the two major synthetic fibers that we talk about. And you did mention that they are quite similar. I I guess my question would be, are there material differences in the way that we use them or the way that we that we apply these materials to uh, to textiles? There are. There are. I know it mostly uh, related to laminates um, and and why you would choose nylon and a lot of it comes down to what your textile construction is going to be so if you want something um, densely woven nylons are typically um, more durable with respect to construction like that um, and are preferred and used Um, oftentimes they're lighter weight um, which is helpful uh, for for those types of textiles polyesters more common for knits uh so think of um base layers or first layers that you wear um where a knit is more conducive to breathability air permeability things like that and polyesters in general pick up less water than nylons uh, and in the fiber form, I think it's about a three to four percent difference. So nylons pick up three to four percent more, which isn't significant, I would say, but it is something that polyester can say it does better on a fiber level. <laughs> yeah, every every three to four percent matters, I guess. <laughs> it could, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how I mean, and think about a running application where you're sweating a ton and then maybe or if you're hiking and you want it to dry quick so you can wear it later in the day that that could be five minutes faster drying or something you know so various things to think about but again durability nylon better moisture management polyester uh, you also have to keep in mind um the textile form like if it's a knit or a woven so one of the one of the big things that is a hot issue when talking about um, when talking about textiles in the textile industry today is sort of the environmental impact of these various textiles. I mean, when we when we talk about cotton, we're you know, there's tons of water use and land use and um, dyeing is all has all these you know chemicals and blah blah blah. Or wool, you know, it's raising animals and things like that and transportation because most of the wool comes from far away. Things like things of that nature. What are some of the general environmental issues associated with synthetic fibers? Yeah, great question. I I would say the fact that you, I mean, you're, you're you pointed out earlier cottons and wools uh, being natural. I think that is in their favor, uh, whereas synthetics are man-made, and there's some upstream processing that going into making a synthetic that you don't have to worry about. You also still have the dyeing process, but they've over many, many years become much uh, more conducive to, to figuring out ways um, to be able to dye reducing amounts of water and, 
and things like that. It's definitely heightened awareness within the textile industry as it's one of the biggest um, footprints with respect to environmental challenges. It's, it's a huge area of concern for the last many, many years. And it's only, um, I think the other advantage of synthetics is the, the recyclability aspect. Um, so you can do that with probably any fiber, but that is an advantage of, you know, being, being able to now be, uh, recycling plastics and things that goes into play with respect to polyester and nylon as well. Um, the fiber form in itself, there's, there's a lot of press and attention to, to, uh, microfiber shedding or fiber shedding in general now, and the industry acceptance and, and test to be able to identify if you have a positive or negative impact there has not been established. But Gore actually is a part of a, a global industry association that's trying to um, create a, a better threshold and guidelines for how we test. Um, and it's with respect to, to washing and, and drying. So you know, what fiber shed, uh, can, can come from washing, um, the apparel that, that you wear. So just kind of everyday use and understanding what comes out of the material after X amount of washes. So we're really focused on it, um, with our supply chain, whether it's a laminate or if we're ending up creating the textile with, with, um, one of our vendors, we, we are, are definitely paying attention to that. Um, so those are probably, you hit on the key areas, but there's also this fiber shedding that's getting a lot of attention and we need to, to respond and pay, um, make sure we're not negatively impacting there. Yeah. And this, this idea of, of, you know, micro, micro pollution caused by these, you know, tiny bits of fiber lint, basically, you know, the stuff you would get out of your dryer at the end of a dryer cycle is kind of what we're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Those those sorts of things. It's really interesting because, you know, a, a lot of what what at least I think about in terms of environmental impact is like, you know, not buying new stuff. For instance, like using the stuff I have until it's totally shot. That's probably one of the best things I can do. But if I'm using this one of these one of these shirts until it's like got holes in it, is paper thin. Well, it's paper thin for a reason because all the the fibers have now turned into tiny bits of plastic that basically can't be reclaimed anyway, and they're going to end up in the bottom of the ocean somewhere. What are some of the strategies that you can use from a textile perspective to limit the amount of micro pollution caused by washing these synthetic garments? Yeah, I, I durability. I so see you hit on it. Durability is, is big that that could move the needle, um, in a way. So can we make um, a, a t-shirt or jacket? last longer preventing people from needing to replace it. Um, I think in the, the fashion industry, it's pretty challenging because trends change and people's desires to have various, um, articles of clothing is not, we can't do much about that. That's personal preference and their material choice. The more Sam's in the world we can get where you actually care about paying attention to not buying 75 different t-shirts 
Well, I, I'm um, a terrible example because I do have 75 t-shirts because of my job. Oh, but. okay, okay. <laughs> but All right, you, I'll give you, you a get pass the idea. Then, yeah. Yeah. So I think durability is a big thing. Um, we're looking into differences with respect to staple fiber form versus filament, and is that something to really target? So do we find that staple fibers shed more than filaments? It's kind of um, expected that they do, but um, to what degree and what impact more, we're, we're looking into things like that as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, just from, just from, you know, my limited knowledge, it seems like a continuous fiber would shed a lot less. Um, but I imagine that there are ways you could set up the staple fibers to make them a bit more, a bit more sturdy. Yes, exactly. Yep. You've mentioned a bit about blends and there's all kinds of different blends. Um, obviously blending naturals with naturals and synthetics with naturals and maybe even synthetics with synthetics. But one thing I'm curious about blends is kind of for one, how the blending process works and also which fiber or fiber properties, maybe which fiber fiber combinations or fiber properties generally make them compatible for blending. Yeah. So things that help with compatibility, it's, it, it has to do with the form going into it. So typically you wouldn't want to take a staple and blend it with a continuous filament, let's say. So you have to kind of start at the base and then there's a ton of possibilities and your the percentages you use are typically to blend. So maybe you have a 60-40 poly nylon. This is an arbitrary example, but just to keep math simple. And maybe you do the 60 poly and 40 nylon because you're driving a little bit more moisture management benefits, but balancing better durability. And then that goes into creating the textile um, of choice. I think, you know, performance attributes like weight of the final, final fabric, you pay attention to the yarn weight. So that could dictate percentages of blends. Um, again, wicking moisture management properties that helps dictate percentage of blends. And a lot of it's trial and error from what my experience was with our Under Armour development. It's it's balancing, you know, how much do you need of, of X in order to get final output of Y. So do you know, are, are there like, are there specific things, you know, we often see a lot of this sort of similar blends wool poly is, is a common blend right now um, to sort of balance the, you know, wool doesn't hold its shape all that well. So you get the sort of shape retention of poly with the moisture wicking and um, odor properties of wool. Are, are, are those blended together because those, those properties happen to be, you know, useful together or are, or are, are there other just like properties of the fibers that make that, uh, you know, an easy thing to blend? I think it's more the, the first that you mentioned, um, so poly can be easily chopped um, and and made into a staple form, which again would be conducive to uh, marrying with wool um, at this at similar lengths. So the length of the staple is often dependent on the fiber form itself. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head with challenges of wool and shape retention. So being able to marry that with something that could reduce that challenge. 
wool is awesome when it's wet and keeping you warm still. So I would think, you know, in a merino wool poly blend, you want to make sure you're not losing that warmth um, when wet benefit that that people often need, especially when you're hiking or using it as a um, you know, like kind of a under layer, like a insulative layer. So. So we've alluded to it a few times now, but I do really want to talk about this um, crazy new poly EPTFE fabric that you guys are doing with Under Armour. We got to see it at OR a few weeks back, um, Luke and I, and I actually have one of the pieces. I've been wearing it a bit, and it's just, it's it's crazy. Like, I've never seen a, a textile like it. I have a lot of questions, but I guess first I'll let you kind of explain the idea behind the fabric and the and the piece and kind of explain to to our listeners what it what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So um Under Armour is is a a customer of ours and um a great partner for us to kind of think outside the box of what everybody knows gore and Gore-Tex to be, which is a waterproof, windproof, breathable company expert material supplier, however you want to look at it. And they understood the benefits of EPTFE after we've educated them and (laughs) and basically said, wow, it has some really unique properties on, on its own. So just EPTFE in general, hydrophobic, low coefficient of friction. So they understood that there's things that you potentially don't need in a waterproof laminate um, that they maybe could leverage in um, a running shirt. So that's where their head went. I I mean, I think it could be used in in other end uses as well, but oh, another big thing not to forget is EPTFE is um, tensile strength and um, good resistance to extreme temperatures where they're high and low. So the melt point is out of this world pretty much uh, with respect to other synthetic materials. So they kind of, you know, thought about that, went back to the Under Armour brainstorming labs and came back to us and said, hey, if we could get it in a fiber form um, and be able to create the lightest weight running shirt with the fastest dry time, but also feel like a natural material, do you think we can make that work? And we were skeptical at the beginning. We, we also, um, we make, we make fibers as, um, for industrial filter bags and for glide dental floss. So we, we make fibers within gore, but never for consumer apparel. So we said, okay, let's, let's try to do a joint development because gore is starting to open our our walls in terms of understanding what else can this crazy, awesome EPTFE material do other than waterproof laminates. So they kind of started us on with, with us on that journey. And sure enough, it ends up being a staple form. So we were talking about differences of a continuous filament or a staple and, um, the, the form that we are able to provide to Under Armour that, um, was going to provide these benefits as well as meet financial and commercial viability. So price points, that's of course important in consumer apparel. 
And we said, okay, I think this, this could be the form that we should start understanding this market space. And I won't pretend that we've solved all the commercial viability. We still have a, a road ahead, a journey ahead with respect to how does everybody make money um, and, <laughs> and consumers value it. So it is seen as a market test for us right now. Um, but reactions from people like yourself about, wow, this is something that feels, and hopefully you also notice it performs differently than your a hundred percent polyester. Um, that's exciting. And maybe we should, you know, keep understanding how to either improve and figure out how everybody can be successful. So what ended up happening is because ours needed to be in the staple form, um, Under Armour selected the polyester that um, they have already been using in um, some of their running apparel. One of their top running shirts called the Streaker was using 100% staple polyester. So they said, okay, let's let's start with that and and start and uh, blend percentages. So we t played with different percentages, and that of course also balances this commercial viability. Um, aspect, but the performance needs. Um, so it ends up being a 90% poly, 10% EPTFE, um, and is an Under Armour's testing versus their other materials that they have in-house and that they've developed in-house um, is, with respect to their test method, is the fastest drying um, they currently have. Um, they're very excited about the strength of the material in itself. Um, and then, you know, their expertise around knitting and how to create this really lightweight, thin single jersey knit is what it is, um, which isn't, isn't unique by any means, but, you know, them bringing that knowledge of what type of knit would, would be best for this um, target running consumer, all married to be this, this, um, great material development and uh yeah we're we're excited about the performance of it um we again have some a road ahead to to understand how to um make this commercially viable and scale up to big volumes that under armor uh would anticipate but from the from the initial consumer responses and athlete testing we've we've been pretty proud of it yeah it's um it's such a unique technology and I mean I, I think there are so many questions that I that I want to ask about this particular fabric because it's kind of like something we've never really seen before. First, I think is, you know, EPTFE for I'm I'm sure that you know this, but for our listeners who don't know this, is generally like comes out in membrane form, right? This, you know, long polymer chain porous like thing. But it's not kind of like nylon or polyester that forms fibers really easily to my knowledge how how do you get it into these little fibers these staple fibers that are that are you know flecked in in, in into this poly material if i told you i'd have to kill you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it is actually not um known so i'm i'm not able to share how we do it but it is definitely unique i'll put it that way okay it's it's um, not intuitive and because of how like you're describing, so EPTFE, so polytetrafluoroethylene is essentially a rock and how you get 
it is a rock. <laughs> it's not essentially, it is a rock. So how you get a rock into a resin or powder and then into, as you just described, a membrane, or it can also be a heart valve. It can also be a filter bag. Um, so we are experts and see that as our core competency, which we don't share broadly. Um, there, of course, are patents that people can read to understand some of this, but a lot of it we keep trade secret. And we do that for a reason to protect um, our intellectual property and um, hopefully fend off competition because we feel that a lot of what we do is unique. And um, if we find the right end use and applicability to provide value to whomever um, is the end user, we we get very excited about that and try to protect um, know-how. So EPTFE has a lot of interesting properties in your in your waterproof breathable laminates it's generally not not exclusively there are other ways around it obviously i'm sure that you know this better than i do but generally protected with a polyurethane layer um to keep the membrane from fouling essentially in this infinium fiber shirt i imagine these eptfe fibers are not protected and i guess the follow-up question to that would be how 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 do you see the performance changing as the fibers may or may not take up, you know, various, various fluids or contaminants, perhaps? Ah, good question. Yeah, you're knowledgeable about waterproofs. Um, I think it's, it's not best to compare because we do what we need to do with membranes for the end use of focus. And sometimes it has that polyurethane layer and sometimes it doesn't dependent on um, what the end use needs are and what we understand about performance um, so with with our waterproofs yeah predominantly need to have that layer but we've we've found other ways around it different coatings um, and such with the fiber form I think we're less concerned about that fouling or contamination contamination degradating the performance because um, a waterproof you can't allow so it's a microporous structure so you have to keep water out and but still allow moisture vapor to exit the system so that the importance of that layer um, or a, a different type of coating is to balance that and over time not degrade and that's what gore is is known to be best in class with respect to our membranes versus competitive um, offerings or other offerings, I'll call them. So with the fibers, I think we're less concerned about degradation um, related to what you would have to worry about in a in a waterproof application. Yeah, and I mean, I that makes a lot of sense because wearing the garment, honestly, the thing that the thing that I think I like the most about this shirt is the way that it slides over skin. You know, the, the EPTFE is, like you mentioned, is a very low coefficient of friction. So it is it, it does, I think, provide a good level of like slipperiness while still having like a very soft hand feel. But that also, I think, brings up another question I have, which is with such a low coefficient of friction, how do you get it to stay inside the poly weave? Like, doesn't it just want to fall out all the time? I mean, it, it it's kind of notoriously hard to glue and hold in place and via other methods. So how how do you get it to stay inside the weave? That's also um, was a learning for us through the the um, essentially a staple staple 
fiber spinning process. So because EPTFE, like you said, is lower coefficient of friction than polyester, uh, we we definitely had to play around with um, the the spinning process of those staple fibers to to be able to get it to stay together. But that's also something we would consider know how. Sure. I mean, I, I promise our listeners won't tell. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I think that's that's just um, the benefit of being able. In our case here, we worked with. Um, kind of R&D type spinners to be able to to learn and go. And then, like I said, we, we have uh, ways to learn how to, if, if desired, to ramp up volumes and figure out how to how to make money. Interesting. I mean, like I said, it's it's such a it's such a unique textile. And I we, we we've recorded another podcast right after Outdoor Retailer about basically I, I just spent five minutes like freaking out about how weird this fabric was. So um, to any of our <laughs> listeners out there who get the chance to check it out, I highly recommend um, just if, if nothing else, going up and touching it, hopefully not while it's on somebody, maybe someone <laughs> you know. And with that, though, I want to talk a little bit about waterproof breathables. I think it would be a mistake to have someone from Gore-Tex on and not at least touch on a few things with waterproof breathables. So... You guys make a lot of different waterproof and water resistant fabrics. Um, can you just give us kind of a, a high level run through of the current lineup and what makes the different um, fabrics, laminates, membranes different and maybe the activities and users they're um, aimed at? Absolutely. Yes, there are. There's a, a method to what we sometimes think is our madness in terms of how many technologies we we are able to offer and deliver, but they're all purposeful. And we really focus on that end consumer and what they're going to be doing. Um, so I'll start at our pinnacle. And as everybody knows that our Gore-Tex guaranteed to keep you dry lineup. So we have um, at the top, so think, you know, kind of picture top of mountain even. Um, it's kind of how you could envision how we, how we position our technologies. We have our our pro uh, technology. So that is um, a, I'll say for lack of technical terms, a beefy membrane, very robust, very ruggedized membrane. And it's partnered with, um, it's a three layer construction. So just to give general guidance on laminates, you have two layers and three layers. So typically, um, uh, two layer would be you have a face textile membrane and then a, a drop liner that is likely not providing much more than protecting the membrane, but it's not as durable, let's say. And then you have three layer, which would be a face textile membrane backer. So sitting at the top pinnacle needs for extreme mountaineering um, multi-day adventures, even multi-month adventures. You have our our pro, uh, which has that beefy, rugged membrane paired with um, a face textile that has really low water pickup properties. Um, so a, a a DWR, a durable water repellent coating, um, performs really well with these types of textiles. They're awesome with abrasion resistance. Um, you name it. Those 
those face textiles can do it and, and meet and exceed expectations. And then you pair it with a backer that's also rugged, but um, giving uh, good moisture management um, benefits and next to skin comfort because we're expecting these people to be very active on their pursuits and needing to have um, a balance of keeping the water out, but extreme breathability. And just, just a real quick personal interjection on Pro. I know when you guys came out with Pro, your um, your backer fabric was actually a woven rather than a knit. Is that still the case on Pro? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and then um, with kind of a tear down from that middle of mountain, we have our performance and active, both three-layer um, different membranes than Pro and even different membranes than each other. Um, but that's where you would have kind of your um, still higher performing um, materials. The active, of course, is more conducive to light and fast hiking, um, done in a day, multi-day type track, but not needing so much of the ruggedness um, that a pro would need. And then um, three-layer performance is um, trekking, again, multi-day, maybe multi-month, but not as extreme conditions as you would expect um, a pro user to need. Um, and then we have at the bottom the what we call our general outdoor or urban lifestyle collection, which has a mixture of two-layer and three-layer um, offerings. That's where you'll find our pack light technology, which is a two layer unlined where that membrane's next to your skin. It's, ex it's extremely packable, also pretty rugged, but more just like your emergency shell. Um, and then your two layer offerings that could either go into just a, um, you know, general use rain um, waterproof jacket or could go into an insulated jacket where you're protecting insulation from getting wet and, um, and uh, benefiting the consumer in, in that way. Okay. And I know you guys also have a new Packlight Plus coming out. Yeah, you could put that kind of in the um, that middle bucket that I named. That's, that's going to be uh, more rugged, um, uh, better next to skin feel than our existing technology due to a new coating that we're putting on. So um, yeah, that, that will be um, pretty popular, I think, in a, a good, uh, essentially, evolution of our existing Packlight um, technology today. Now, does does the standard Packlight stay in the line? Yes, it will still stay in the line. Yep, just okay. at a lower tier. At, at a lower price point, basically? Not necessarily, but it, it could. I, I can't dictate how the brands are, are going to price it, but it may, may fall, depending on features and things. We're asking them to put different features in, um, pockets, et cetera, to make it more conducive to that general outdoor. And then that Packlight Plus will have more hiking type features that you maybe are familiar with. I think an important thing just to emphasize about all of those technologies kind of sum up our guarantee to keep you dry product space is so much is around, and I was just hitting on it, the construction of the garment. So we control 
a lot with respect to um, how our customers can use and integrate um, different features into the jackets to, to provide the benefits. Because when you think about waterproof technology, it's, it's pretty commonplace if you're in the, in the uh, materials arena to be servicing waterproof materials. Um, to be able to make a laminate using different membranes, using different um, textiles, DWR treatments. Um, but what we really focus on is the whole system and making sure that from laminate fabric to final garment construction, we have tested and understood exactly how it's, it's going to be used by the consumer and therefore what types of um, seam sealing is needed and you know, we pay really close attention to the entire garment, not just the material on its own. Which is one of the things that makes Gore super unique in the space, right? Because like most other companies, you know, like PolarTech, NeoShell, for instance, they kind of created this membrane. They're like, to manufacturers, go crazy, do whatever you want. And they manufacturers came up with a lot of really unique and creative ideas, but not all of them worked, you know? Right. However, you know, like it's it's a bit of a give and take, right? Because giving people a little bit more creativity might allow them to to you know explore spaces that maybe you're not thinking all all the way through at Gore necessarily. I think that it's good that we have kind of both both things available in the market. Agreed, and that's where I'll transition into our other product class, which is um, used to be formerly known as our Windstopper technology, and now will be called Gore-Tex Infinium with Windstopper. So we did have a standalone brand called Gore Windstopper that very few people, unless you're in the gas region of Europe, knew about. Um, <laughs> or maybe Korea. Korea actually really loves the Windstopper we, brand. We liked Windstopper here too, a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, you must be a, an outdoor junkie because it wasn't broadly known. Um, so we've done a... Um, uh, brand architecture change. And so this actually the, the Under Armour um, material we were just talking about is fitting under this Gore-Tex Infinium space um, and, and our Windstopper technology falls under there. So that's where you mentioned earlier, we have water resistant materials and we don't um, have those same restrictions around um, how the customer um, can integrate a Windstopper technology. Yes, of course, we give recommendations because we care about what we call fitness for use and making sure the consumer needs are met with respect to a windproof, breathable, water-resistant material. Um, but we typically allow a lot more design freedom there. So that's our approach to kind of capture those consumer needs. But when it has to be waterproof and we have our, our consumer guarantee tagged and associated with it, we, we do put, have um, boundaries, let's say, and, and that's solely because we don't want consumers to be let down um, and associate Gore-Tex negatively. So what do you see as the next area for substantial improvement in the waterproof breathable space? Is it, do you think it's, you know, advancements in membrane technology, face fabrics, backers, maybe it's new DWR treatments? All of the above. Uh, but always highlighting sustainability first and foremost, and that will drive alternative materials, um, at least for Gore. So 
from a membrane standpoint, we are actively pursuing different technologies to, to better, um, uh, better our environmental footprint, um, whether it's adjustments to how we're doing EPTFE or exploring other areas, you know, that's where our heart is. We want to be seen as the, the sustainable leader um, with respect to everything we do um, in the industry. So whether it's membrane choice or textile choice or DWR choice, um, we have to move there. It's the right thing to do. And we have made commitments externally and our customers are begging for it and want to be on that journey with us. And we will, um, you know, take serious actions to be the best in class always, but, um, make sure we have sustainability at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we saw one of those external commitments at OR, which is you guys are planning to phase out all PFC DWRs. Um, I can't remember what the year is it. 2022. Is that the year? 2023. Which, which is, which is really exciting. I think we're, I think everyone's really happy to see that, but that's a really good segue into my next question. A lot of companies are designing waterproof laminates and, you know, full water laminated textiles to be recycled. It's kind of a complicated process from what I understand. Does Gore have plans or I guess how do you plan to increase the recyclability of your fabrics and or make the recycling process a little more consumer friendly? The latter part of your your question there about making it more consumer friendly is, I would say, a long ways away. Um, we are trying to understand if there's ways that we could do it. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a short putt by any means. Um, what we tend to focus on and where our direction is, is life cycle, um, assessment. So LCA analysis and making sure that, um, from start to finish, we have a sound understanding of what that life cycle looks like. Um, it doesn't mean that recyclability is not on our radar, but that is a um, an approach that we see we can be making an, an impact and communication in an advantageous way um, in a shorter amount of time. Um, so there's things like HIG index that we're focusing on. We should be able to provide that to our customers um, within the next year or two um, to help with understanding our footprint there. And we we pay attention to global warming, so we're looking at that goes to the membrane use. Um, so recyclability is definitely more complicated, especially if you want to try to get consumers to do it with polytetrafluoroethylene. There's um, some hazards that we would want to be responsible for. Uh, so we it is on the radar, but it's it's longer, longer term. Um, we, we do try to use recycled materials where we can, though, and that's been a big shift in our textile selection and, you know, any new textile we're bringing in, like our new pro coming out soon is going to tout some, some serious benefits there with respect to solution dyes and things like that. That was a long winded answer to your short question, but <laughs> just trying to say it's, it's complicated. No, it definitely, especially with these, with these laminates that are made up of all these different materials. Um, you know, we just, spoke with one of the engineers at Patagonia and one of their new kits um, is made out of a poly, 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 all polyester laminate three layer to have, you know, super simple recycling. And a lot of the face 
face fabric is made out of recycled materials and, and that as well. And it's it's a really it's a really cool step forward. And obviously with the EPTFE, you guys have different different issues because you definitely can't make an EPTFE face fabric, at least as as far as I know. Um, no. Mm-hmm. I maybe maybe shake dry is a, you, is a yeah yeah that that's one example I guess it would like we have made the shake dry in that form but if you think of it as a textile you know if you would do a hundred percent EPTFE in a fiber form and then a membrane that's just way too much EPTFE that anybody needs in a garment <laughs> probably so um <laughs> All right, so to kind of tie it all back together um, with the synthetic fibers and the waterproof breathables, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions or maybe the biggest misconceptions surrounding um, the world of synthetic materials or waterproof fabrics? Hmm. Uh, I think in general, people just broad strokes say, oh, it's man-made, it's worse for the environment. Um, I think that that's a misconception, especially um, when you think about Gore's materials and how EPTFE is inert and gets put into, I think we're up to 40 million patients that now have Gore material inside their body living, um, you know, within them. So there's just misconceptions that the processing um, is hazardous. It's terrible for xyz i think you have to really drill into the science behind it and we as gore um with respect to the polymers we use in our processing um try to get anything hazardous um done in a safe way very upstream in the process we're going through some significant changes with our suppliers because of um heightened industry perception to this and we're committed to um, making sure that right from the get-go, this processing is is safe and not um, is causing harm. So that's probably what I would answer. And it, it maybe is less um, of a degree for polyesters and, and nylons because um, plastics are easier to process in general and have been made safe for many, many years. But it's... Uh, um, definitely something you need to really understand this the the science and um, know how behind and we have many experts within gore that that's all they do all day long is try to ensure that we're making safe materials not only for our employees in itself but um for the for the environment thanks so much um for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation and stay tuned we're going to have a few more episodes in this series on fibers we're going to do a cotton one one on hemp one on wool as well i think it's going to be fun and thanks so much sarah for a great conversation thanks for having me that's it for this edition of gear 30 thanks for listening and if you're enjoying these episodes we'd very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review in itunes and also spread the word to your gearhead friends thanks everybody stay safe out there and we'll talk to you again next week